Hello and welcome to episode 81 of the NFL Scotland podcast. The regular season is done. It went down to the one-yard line on the very last play of the very last game of the decade in what was a thrilling week 17. Well, for some, my name is Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Pass Interference, sometimes known as Paul Mitchell. The wildcard weekend matches have been confirmed. I, for one, absolutely delighted we didn't make the top seeds. means I get to watch the Saints beat the Vikings on Sunday. Yeah, time will tell on that one. We'll look back first, though, as we chat through the headlines from Sunday and share your thoughts on our weekly awards. Well, then look ahead to that wildcard weekend. We've got four tasty ties to look forward to. And as ever, we'll wrap it all up with all the latest news from around the league. And we'll be discussing players you do not want to have on your team. But Paul, first of all, let's go back to what's just happened at week 17. And of course, let's just start where it all finished. We'll pick it up hot as we come into episode 81 of the NFL Scotland podcast. So I'm going to take you back to 1981 because it feels relevant. And why is that relevant? Well, in 1981, the San Francisco 49ers finished the number one seed in the NFC with a 13-3 record, then went on to win the Super Bowl. 5-1 in the division that year, that's what they are this year. The San Francisco 49ers did it. And my goodness me, it took an absolute dead drop tackle on the... It wasn't even the one-yard line. It was about half an inch. Half an inch. Um, as we absolutely sort of blew in the faces of the lucky fortunes that the Seahawks have. You know, I talk about it all the time. Luckiest team in the NFL. Well, do you know what? The, the Niners stuck it to them. The Niners said, we don't want any of your luck. It may come back to haunt us. I think that we might have to face them in the divisional round. But for now, the San Francisco Niners can go in as the number one seed. Home field advantage It will go all the way through the playoffs if we manage to make it all the way through the playoffs. But what a game. What a game to wrap up the, the 2019 regular season. Absolutely tremendous game. You talk about that final play. It was stunning. But you've got to go back. Fred Warner on Jacob Hollister. That's pass interference. They've got the ball on the one-yard line. They score. And you're no longer the top seed. Again, and it's horrible to be talking about referees. That's incompetence beyond belief that that was not called. Now, you could argue the 49ers may have held out the Seahawks. If you go to the analytics, it would suggest they would not have done. I think the Seahawks go in there and the Seahawks win the game. Congratulations to the 49ers. These things come and go. You know, you get some calls, you don't get some others. But, Cameron, on the day that the Saints' Sean Payton won a pass interference challenge only for hours <laughs> later to be screwed out of it. And I'm sorry. All right. So hang on. Out. So this is still a screw. This, this. <laughs> I wasn't even picking up on that train. Brilliant. So, okay. So there's so no pass interference. It didn't screw the Seahawks. What it did was it screwed the Saints. <laughs> yeah, it screwed the Saints. The Saints are having to play on Sunday against a very talented Minnesota team rather than get a bye. (laughs) Yeah, it's a fair point. Um... It is a fair point. Now, now you've got to admit it was pass interference. There was no doubt it was pass interference. Have you seen? It wasn't even close. There is apparently, um, there's a, I don't know how legitimate it is, but on Twitter there is apparently some, uh, there's a document that's come out that had commentary from Ron Rivera not Ron Rivera, um, from the officiating team, who basically said that they did review it in New York. 
and they deemed it not to be pass interference because actually the Seattle attacker had made contact with the defender first. And whilst then there's obviously, uh, yes, in the context of the single frame photo as you look at it, I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it looks like absolute pass interference. The reason they said they didn't interfere and change it was because the Seattle attacker had actually made contact first. Therefore, if you looked at it in the full context of the whole thing, um, he wasn't. It would have been offsetting penalties. No, I, I looked at the whole thing. It was pass interference. That, that that with respect to the people in New York is utter bollocks. They must be related to the people doing VAR in England. If it looks like pass interference, it smells like pass interference, etc., etc., etc. It's pass interference. Now, if I can take you to the one in the Saints game against the Panthers, which was largely inconsequential, I mean, Michael Thomas was virtually assaulted by the guy running into him who never once looked back. You've got, I think, the side judge standing four or five metres away and he failed to call it. That comes back to the wider problem that we've got is the officiating this year has been exceptionally poor. Now, we said before, it's fast, it's furious, it's hard to see. But if you couldn't see that Michael Thomas on that one was clearly interfered with and the guy didn't turn around, you should not be doing that job because that's one of the most basic calls. I was sitting watching at Red Zone, immediately you think that's pass interference, no danger. You know, and I'm sitting in my living room and I can see it. The guy's four or five metres away and doesn't call it. We, you know, The league has announced there is going to be a review of officiating and it's much, much needed. As I say, I mean, the Saints got screwed again through pass interference. But congratulations to the 49ers. You know, overall, you've got to go and play a good 60 minutes to go and beat the Seahawks. There's absolutely no doubt about it. I don't think the Seahawks would be too happy having to go to the Eagles either in the playoffs as a result of that. But these things happen. We can't change it. The law's an ass. And we just have to move on. So it's an interesting one on that as well, because the Seahawks do now need to go to the Eagles. Had the Seahawks won, though, they would have been playing the Vikings at home. So actually, of the two, I'm not sure which is that. You'd always take home field advantage, you would imagine. But you got to think that the Vikings are a better team than the Eagles. I think the Seahawks' chances against the Eagles are greater than it would have been at home against the Vikings. I would have fancied them either way because that's just what I do. But um, I think that would have... I actually think that's worked out sort of in their favour. Ultimately, if they then won in the divisional, they would have to go on um, and probably play away uh, to somebody anyway in the next round. So they were never getting home field advantage all the way through. Now, I've actually, while you've been chatting there, I've found the exact quote, and it's Al Riveron, not Ron Riveron. Okay. Although, although there's a reason that you could connect it back to being a way to shaft the Saints. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what we see is, we see the offensive player come in and initiate contact on the defensive player. Nothing that rises to the level of a foul which significantly hinders the defender. Nothing that is clear and obvious through visual evidence which hinders the defender. The defender then braces himself and there is contact by the defender on the receiver. Again, nothing which rises to the level of a foul based on visual evidence. Nothing happens that rises to the level of a foul while the ball is in the air before it gets there by either player. That is exactly what Al Riveron has said. Um, yeah, and, and, and with all due respect to Al Riveron, that is utter bollocks. <laughs> And it, and it is. I mean, I, I don't care. Listen, I'd be take, raging. Take, the, take I, the Saints thing out of it, you know, completely, in case people think I'm biased, which I am. 
there is absolutely no doubt that that is pass interference. You're always going to get a little bit of knocking together of players. That's what happens, and I'm all for letting players play. But that was clearly pass interference, and it's moronic to come out with words like that because it soothes absolutely no one. So I would be absolutely raging if I heard that one. I would say, you know, there was other calls. Um, obviously, the call for um, unnecessary roughness on the centre, who had ran down the field, didn't hear the whistle and tackled his, his man <laughs> making a block and then got a 15-yard penalty for it, was a little bit savage. You know, if that hadn't happened, then you would argue that the Seattle might have never got the ball anywhere near the line anyway. It's all these F-spots and maybes. Yes, do you know what? At the time, I did look at it and go, ooh, I think we've got away with one there. And I yeah. knew the score before I sat down and watched the highlights. I did not sit up and watch it. And I'll be perfectly honest, I would have been pacing the floor for those final two and a half minutes. Uh, that was an absolute thrilling end. And how many times have we seen in Seattle the Seahawks do that, get to that final position and do what they need to do to get it over the line? I thought the writing, the writing would have been on the wall had I not known the score. And I would have been wrong, as so often <laughs> I am. Um, but yes, right. So other talking points from the weekend. I think the result of the whole thing has to be the Dolphins. Oh, the Dolphins. I mean, the Dolphins weren't lucky against the Patriots. I think that's the first thing you've got to say. So go back to week two of the season, Cameron. 43-0 yeah. New England stomped over Miami. Absolutely stomped over them. And the Dolphins, I think, they will stand by their coach because I don't think you could sack a coach when he's won for the first time in New England and I think, what, 15 attempts against Tom Brady? Yeah. So I think, you know, you've got to keep him. Ryan Fitzpatrick, a shout out to Jeff Reinbold from Sky. He basically tweeted that if you don't like Ryan Fitzpatrick, you just can't love the NFL. And he's so right. You know, you've got to love Ryan Fitzpatrick. He just goes about his business brilliantly. And congratulations to the Dolphins. That wasn't flicky. Now, I have to say, watching the final play of the game, I actually wanted the Patriots to get to at least the five-yard line on all the laterals because that would have been hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> but just to see them fall short there yeah. would have been even funnier given the Dolphins did that to them last year. But, yeah, it is the absolute standout result. Now, to talk about some of the results, the Lions, again, can't find a way to get over the line against what looked like a fairly poorish Packers team. Uh, the Texans, did they not throw in the towel against the Titans, do you think? I mean, I... Yes, they did. After saying that they were going to be playing their starting team, they didn't. They, they basically put up enough of a show to give people game. Uh, they took the opportunity to give A.J. McCarron some time with the ball in his hand in up against a team that needs to win. So they're playing at 100%. And in a way, that what that does is it gives you the opportunity to give your quarterback some time before you hit the playoffs, hoping that, you know, if any injury does come to Deshaun Watson, then he can step up and do it. It's also that double-edged sword where you don't risk uh, Deshaun Watson in a game where the Titans needed to win to make it into the playoffs. They were giving it their all. I totally understand why they did it. Uh, though at first you thought, oh, hang on a minute, this could be a game. As it went on, though, the Titans and Derrick Henry just found a way to to make it work uh, and ultimately it was a really convincing Titans performance I've got mixed feelings about this and I have had this love-hate relationship with the Titans all year I tipped them to do really well I kind of gave up on them because they were just annoying the living daylights out of me so in one way I'm pleased because I, I did tip them to reach the playoffs but on the other hand I'm a little bit grouchy because of the way that they did it the Colts capitulated for me yep. I mean the Jags have never lost at home in week 17 but the Jags are a shambles yep. 
and therefore, I mean, Garner Minshew, he's been to me one of the stars of the season because you never saw him coming. Former Washington State player. Now, I watched Washington State's bowl game um, on Saturday, and Ryan Leaf who's a former Washington State guy, was talking about him. And Ryan Leaf, of course, went to San Diego and never really established himself as much of a quarterback. But he had nice things to say about Garner Minshew. So there's a little bit of hope there for the Jags, but I think there's a new coach coming in there. I yes. mean, they, they fire Coughlin. I think Marone has to go as well. But again, it depends on who else is around. To me, if you're going to fire, you've got to have a fairly good idea that there are people then that will come to your organization. You just don't want to pick up somebody, perhaps like a Freddie Kitchens, who's going to be another one and done. We'll come on to Freddie in a moment. The Bears beating the Vikings, again, that kind of annoys me because the Vikings knew they were they couldn't do anything. Therefore, they didn't really try all that hard. If, you, if you're a season ticket holder at Minnesota, are you happy, really, the Bears coming, did you, in the final week? No, you're definitely not. And that's got to be, it's one of those ones where, again, there's so many players not playing in that game, you kind of chalk it off as a game in which you're giving other people the opportunity to get some ball time again. But you still don't want to lose. And, you know, it's somehow Mitchell Trubisky has had over 3,000 passing yards in the last two seasons. The Bears end up on an 8-8, eight and eight, which might just be enough to save Matt Nagy and give him another season in Chicago. But to be honest, it's a junk time win against a team that's made the playoffs that's going to look better than it is because they've beaten the 10-6 and six Vikings. So, you know, the Vikings have nothing to play for. Again, you don't want to risk anyone. They've had injury problems throughout the season and therefore don't... Why bother risking them? When there's but, nothing but, can be gained at all. Uh, I get that attitude, and it's, it makes it a bit of a bum game on Week 17, and that's why at the very top, you know, it was a thrill in Week 17 for some, because for some people, I mean, if you're a fan of the Bills or the Jets, then gee whiz, oh. you know, it's, oh, that was brutal for a final week game. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's just one of those things. It's interesting, because I think what you learn out of this is if people who listen to this podcast are actually going to go and see a game at some point, and sometimes, you know, people sometimes go to New York for Christmas and things like that. I actually can be a bust going to week 17. Yeah. You are better going. I mean, earlier in the season, you might not get the greatest of games, but at least you should get something that's relatively competitive. I mean, that it was played in horrible rainy conditions, but again, it makes the Jets look better than they are. You know, if you're the Jets head coach, Adam Gacy, well, we were 7-9, and nine, you know, we've come on a fair bit, we beat a playoff team, and they won six of the last eight. Having started one and seven, you've got to give all the credit in the world to the Jets. I'm the same for the Broncos. I've given the Broncos all the credit in the world for the way that they, they changed things around. And you know, won four out of the last five games. Their only loss was to Kansas City. I still reckon the Broncos were the best team with a losing record. That was my thought, but we'll see how it goes on. You thought the Eagles might struggle against the Giants. Yeah, I, you know, I thought the Giants were coming back into a little bit of form. Barkley looked back to being himself. I think that Daniel Jones has still got something to prove. And I, you know, even up until the point that it was 17-17 in that game, I was like, do you know what, the, uh, the Giants aren't just going to lie o lie down here. Lie over. Uh, they're not going to lie down here and just let the Eagles win. Now, from that point forward, after 17-17, it kind of got a bit one-sided. And Boston Scott, what a game he had. We'll, we'll, Tremendous. We'll talk about him probably a bit more 
in the, the awards section. But they did exactly what they needed to do. They knew that if they were to win the game, it was theirs to win. They took a healthy crowd up to New York. And I think to your point about Week 17 being a bust, I would imagine that stadium was probably as many Eagles fans, if not more. Uh, given uh, how packed it looked, because the Giants fans hadn't been turning up in particular great numbers. So that made that game relevant for that very reason. And the Eagles did exactly what they needed to do. Now, obviously, there was a a point where there was players going straight to the locker room because the queue for the the medical tent was actually out the door. That's (laughs) not a good sign. And it's been so atypical of the the Eagles uh, over the last couple of years, to be honest. Uh, since they won the Super Bowl, they have been absolutely decimated by injuries. Uh, players in multiple players in the same position, it tends to be as well. So they've got problems. They've managed to get into the playoffs now. They, they they're at home to the Seahawks, who are banged up themselves. So it's a case of is that defensive line off? Uh, Philadelphia are going to be good enough to stop Russell Wilson. Again, we'll come on to this when we talk about the wildcard thing. But they did what they needed to do. And actually, it was it was quite a convincing performance in the end, in a very wet, as well, New York. Yeah, and it shows the, the need for good medical staff. Now, we saw in Washington earlier in the year, some of the Washington players questioning whether the medical team in Washington was actually good enough, which was interesting. So you need a good medical staff. Can we? We'll just run over. The Rams beat the Cardinals. That was fair enough. The Broncos beat the Raiders. Can we come to the moment of the whole night yesterday? <laughs> now, the advert for adult diapers has to be shown here because I was pissing myself laughing <laughs> at this one. Now, I'm sorry to all our Bucks fans. And I, I'm a Tampa Bay Rays fan. I take no great pleasure in watching the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because I've got a great affinity for that reason. But how Jameis Winston was it to finish the season by throwing an interception, a pick six, to lose the final game of the season? And rather than finishing on eight and eight with a bit of positivity moving forward, you finish on seven and nine. The franchise quarterback, you don't know whether to bring back or not, throws an interception, which was another honking one. Somebody said that was his 40th touchdown pass of the year, 33 4. Seven against. He threw over 30 interceptions, Cameron, but seven of them went back for pick sixes. What a horrible way to end your season. I mean, as a Saints fan, it was funny, but I do feel for my friends in Tampa Bay. Yes, 33 touchdowns thrown, 30 interceptions thrown. 30 and 30, first player to do both. Still managed to get over. 5,000 yards. Yeah, 5,000 yards. 5,000 yards is impressive. You know, it really is. Um, He's never come close to that. His record before 2016, 4,090. But his, yeah, I mean, his interceptions is astronomical. Now, on this one, actually, um, we have, for the last couple of weeks, questioned whether or not he is colorblind. Um, yep. which I think, again, this was a team in red against a team in white. So it only adds fuel to that fire. Now, a uh, long-time listener to the show, uh, Polly, who is a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, he actually reached out on Twitter to uh, a Bucks writer called Greg Oman, um, who knows his stuff. And he, he asked on our behalf, Greg, serious question during halftime. Have the Bucks confirmed whether Jameis Winston has ever been tested for colorblindness? Just wondering if there was anything else behind his interception numbers. To which Greg has replied, not really answered the question. He knows which players are on his team. Yes. 
Now, <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I actually want to take this moment to do a little bit of colorblindness championing here because I think there's a lot of people don't truly understand what colorblindness is. So colorblindness is not the, abil- the inability to see a color. Now, it is for some people. You get some very extreme cases. For me, certainly, I'm red-green colorblind. If you show me the color red, I can see it's red. And if you show me the color green, I can see it's green. What happens is when the two colors are together, I sometimes have issues telling them apart. So the best example I always give is, and it's a terminal colors for me, is the brown ball and the snooker table. When the brown ball is by itself, I can see that it's brown. If you put that brown ball in amongst all the red balls, I cannot tell you which one is the brown ball. I can have an inkling, you know, I, I think I kind of know, but it is not clear to me. Uh, I, and I, colorblindness is not about not knowing who's on his team. It's about the, the inches when th- things are moving at pace and things of a similar color blur together. That if you are colorblind, that is going to have an impact on your ability to be able to thread the needle on some of those important plays. There's no two ways about that. So I agree with you. I'm colorblind as well. I was told as a kid I couldn't be a pilot because I couldn't tell between red and green. Yeah. And apparently if you're flying a plane, that's quite an important thing when it yeah. comes to buttons. <laughs> so I wasn't allowed to be. Now, I did beat the the test. Is it Ishawara test or yeah. something? Because I listened to the answers. Um, so I was able to get all the numbers correct, but I wasn't able to trace the path across, which confused them greatly till they figured out that I'd been listening into the previous cheating. kids that had been going cheating. in. No, no, not cheating. <laughs> just, just gathering information and using it. Now, my problem as a professional commentator is if the kits are too close together. Now, actually, red and green so Hibs Aberdeen is fine for me. My problem tends to come in shades. So a couple of years ago, Hearts played at home in maroon against Partick Thistle, who played in black, rather than play in their yellow and red stripes. The referee had decided there should be a change. Now, that was a nightmare for yeah. me. Now, the shorts were different colours, but if you're just looking at jerseys, that was really difficult. There's been a couple of times this season, it's been Livingston or Motherwell, their goalkeeper jerseys have been too close to the opposition as well. So I also struggle with, when I do rugby, Treviso tend to use green numbers or red numbers, red numbers on a green and white jersey. And I can't see that. I had a very good conversation with a couple of guys at the SFA and I actually got some really good information from that. And I meant to write an article for my blog, but I I got too busy and got sidetracked because there was a couple of years ago, Real Madrid and Barcelona both played in change kits and people couldn't tell them apart. Now we had that in the NFL. I think it was Buffalo and the Jets, green and red played together. Now, if you're in England in the EPL, Every, th- every strip is submitted uh, in the drawings with the Pantone shades, etc., etc., and everything is decided way in advance of the games. People know what they're going to be wearing and when. It's a little bit less in Scotland because, you know, sometimes it does happen, you know, they'll take their own goalkeeper's jersey or something. I've seen that happen. But last year I covered Cardiff Blues playing the Glasgow Warriors. Now, Glasgow went with their change kit. Cardiff were wearing their European kit, and it was impossible to tell them apart. I mean, from a colour blindness point of view, it was hard enough for normal people, but for the colour blindness and the shades, it was really difficult. I was actually interviewed on Radio Scotland the following day to talk about this because it was such a big story. And bizarrely, Cardiff because they train in a different place to where they play, did not have another kit on site. So they couldn't just go and change into another kit. So I, I really feel for people with colour blindness. 
and it is difficult and everybody's different my, my thing is shades it shades is my problem like you i can tell green from red yep. but when things start to merge or shades i you know i i once I, I was once on holiday i went to to florida my luggage didn't arrive so i got sent to walmart to buy a t-shirt went with my eldest son i picked up a t-shirt and a pair of shorts and i came back to the villa my wife went why are you wearing a pink T-shirt? Yeah. <laughs> I went, what do you mean pink? It's white. She said, no, it's pink. Yeah. <laughs> and I looked at my eldest and went, why didn't why you tell me? Tell me? <laughs> you know, and he just smiled. <laughs> so, Brilliant. You know, it, it is a serious business. And yeah. I think, you know, I, think, I mean, the SFA, bless, bless the Scottish Football Association, they do take it seriously, as do the English. You know, they, they do take these things seriously. Sometimes it doesn't work. But don't, you know, don't, don't think that they actually don't care, because I think they do. Yeah, no, I, and it's important. And I do see more and more people, especially on social media, highlighting this. And I think it, I just thought it was, an, obviously, we're kind of making light a little bit of James Winston. We're kind of, as us both being colorblind, we've kind of, you know, I'm not legitimately saying he's colorblind. Yeah. There's a chance. And if you yeah. think of it, you're like 10% of the male population of the world is colorblind. So you got to assume that there's at least a couple of colorblind football players out there. Uh, there definitely will be. And it will have an impact. And it's it's more on, because he's so capable of hitting the bombs down the field, and he's so capable, but it's when it's the little details, when it's just, it's the ones that are tight. And that's always the ones that he gets wrong. What you know, it's when he's trying to thread it through to someone and he doesn't see something just on the peripherals of his vision. Um, and it's things like that that I've struggled with. When I was reporting for fourth uh, and doing football stuff there, there were certain ones. I remember it was a Celtic kit and it was this green and white with a gold number on the back. And I spent my whole time focusing in on that thing. I often, and it was a problem, I would miss goal scorers uh, in Celtic games because I didn't, I was focusing on the number of the player on the ball. By the time I looked across, I didn't actually see who it would be crossed over to and who would score. And it was a problem. It was a yeah. big problem. And what you have to do is you have to kind of read the game. Uh, and as a commentator, and let's be honest, you know, behind the curtain, not every commentator sees exactly what happens every time. And what you've got to do in that scenario is then fill the gap a little bit till you can figure out who's actually celebrating. Ah, that's who it was that scored the goal. Um, and you recognize them by face rather than by number. That only works if you're covering a game where you know the players. Uh, Dunfermline used to do it, and they had a red and black stripe with... Uh, sorry, no, it wasn't. It was a red and... White it wasn't. Stripe, it was yeah. black and white. Black and white. Black and white with a red number. Now, the red number on the white is very visible. The red number on the black is not. So what I used to have to do was determine from the shape of the number what the bit was that I couldn't see. And that becomes the focal point. So you're focusing in on, right, what can I actually see there? You miss the little details that normally your eye would be able to quickly go to because your cognitive load is, <laughs> there's a word to chuck into the podcast, <laughs> cognitive load. Um, but your cognitive load is focusing in on one particular thing. You're trying to figure out what you're seeing. And because you're doing that, you're not then able to process and manage the rest of the information around you. That means that you are just that little bit off your game. Um, so I would say credit to you, Paul, having been a uh, you know international class commentator within Scotland, uh, arguably within the UK, to have done that with the disability of colourblindness just adds to the fact that you've done a really good job at it because it's hard. It's really hard. And I, I just thought, you know, a nice wee opportunity to explain to those that don't perhaps know um, because inevitably when you tell people you're colourblind, they hold something up and they say, what colour's this? It's yeah. my favourite game. <laughs> I love to play it. I've been doing it since I was two. Um, I'm still doing it on a semi-regular basis. Um, nobody ever asks me what noise does a cow make. 
you know, I, I could cover those ones as well. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, yeah, so there you go. That's our that's our bit on colorblindness. I think, though, that's enough about that. Shall we go to the awards, Paul? Yes, I think we should. Let's do that. Right. Let's start, first of all, with reading some of these out, and we'll jump on the back of them. Sean Breen, he got in touch. His belter was RG3 for getting his first start and win in three years. An impressive performance in the rain as well. Uh, Bowfin for him was... Uh, it's a harsh one, this. The Eagles making the playoffs with a practice squad. I don't know if that's Bowfin because it's just a Bowfin squad of players that have somehow managed to do it. But I suppose it is a, a, a Bowfin team, ultimately, that they've got. But do you know what? Credit to them for doing it. Ballback for him was Odell Beckham Jr. for being one of the most talented players in the NFL but showing up one play per game. And to be fair, what a play it was. A great catch in the end zone for him to get that touchdown. But yeah, pretty much nothing else. Uh, Glasgow Buffalo Bills, he starts with, uh, Bowvin, we touched on this, the three hours of my life spirit snapped, sorry, <laughs> three hours of my life spirit sapped watching a dead rubber pointless Bills v Jets game. Yeah, it was brutal. I think the yeah, Bills, I can get that. Bills only team not to score a touchdown in the six o'clock kickoffs as well. So, uh, Belter though for him, Fitzmagic shafting the Patriots. I'll be honest, I think all non-Patriot fans enjoyed that one. Uh, ball bag for him is Freddie Kitchens for not being able to end the season by beating the god-awful Bengals. And that's it. The Bengals ultimately got two wins. They still got the first-round pick. And in the end of it all, they tied their worst-ever record. So had they lost that game, it would have been the worst-ever Bengals record. But they get away with just tying their worst-ever. So there you go. Uh, Brian Dando, he got in touch. His belter is Dre Greenlaw for that NFC West championship-winning stop. Um, and also Pete Carroll for allowing the clock to run for a delay of game that pushed them back to the six-yard line in the first place, which is a big call as well. Um, that was a big mistake on their part. Uh, Bowfin for him, the Patriots. Hope they stay Bowfin through the playoffs. I think we can all agree with that. And Bobag, <laughs> the referee for stopping Joe Mixon's helmet-swinging celebration. Have you seen the footage of this one, Paul? I haven't. I have to confess, I've not seen that, but I'm going to go and watch that. So the Bengals take a knee. Uh, Joe Mixon whips his helmet off, swings it round to celebrate, and ends up taking out the legs of a referee that's just ran in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> so he was, do you know what? When you watch it, Paul, just think he's doing that for you. He's doing that I'll, for you I'll, in the Saints. A bit of revenge I'll, for you. I'll watch that. Don't you worry. <laughs> Ross Black, his belter is Carson Vents. Uh, has surely proven his elite status. First Eagles quarterback to throw over 4,000 yards in a single season. He did that with no wide receivers over 500 yards receiving. Uh, Boston Scott played like a young Darren Sproles too. Ball bag for him is Baker Mayfield. The video says it all. What a clown. Have you seen this video? I've been scanning this morning. So Baker Mayfield about to come out of the tunnel getting abuse from the Browns fans suggests that the Browns fans should come down here and say that to his face. Now, I get his point to a point. So I can understand how frustrated he must be. He is an eagle player. And what he's... That's eagle, not eagle. Um, he he is all about confidence. And when you're about to come out and your own fans are booing you and giving you a hard time, that must be utterly demoralising. It can be utterly frustrating. You're just out there doing your job. You're doing the best that you can. I'm not sure that it's Baker Mayfield's fault that things have gone as badly as they've gone. Uh, but to turn around and say to a fan, or oh, come down here and say that to my face, is 100% ball bag behaviour. Yeah, I mean, you've just named my ball bag because I've gone with that. Now I've got a slightly different take. If you look at these players, you know, when they're getting shouted at, a lot of them just look ahead and ignore. It's not easy, but that's what he had to do. 
I mean, he would have been better off offering him his helmet and say, there you go, you want to play quarterback? On you go, mate. And then I'll come on once they're scraping you off the turf. So there's other ways you can handle it. So I think he was a ball bag without any doubt. You've actually touched on my belter already. I think it's got to be RG3. Yeah. I've, not, I've never been his biggest fan, but I thought he did a really good, solid job. And should something happen um, to the MVP of the league, you might think he'll be able to guide that offense. And the Bowfin, I mean, it's the, it's the pass interference. No pass interference call in the 49ers <laughs> Seahawks game. That, that, that is that is bowfing, absolutely bowfing beyond belief. Now, the other one, the other one that gets a sort of ball bag bowfing is probably our weekly Jerry Jones award yep. when he was asked about you know the coaching situation and the changes and he said there will be no doors were shut tonight so I don't know whether his house had all the doors open whether he drove home with his car doors open um, I've no idea but stop being a ball bag and stop trying to dress things up you know you can say look guys this is a serious business we've got some serious discussions but there were no doors shut tonight come on yeah <laughs> yeah, indeed. nonsense. So there's a couple more to run through just before we wrap up from this one, and then I'll give you mine. So Chris Breen, he's been in touch. His belter is Boston Scott. Every other answer is wrong. What performance from him? Player that was snapped up by the Eagles off of the New Orleans Saints practice squad as well. Bowfin Winston, never even known... Uh, never even known being that inconsistent was possible. Okay, uh, yeah. Fine. I know what it means. I know what yeah. it means. Uh, and Bobag, uh, the Dallas Cowboys wide receivers for turning up when it no longer mattered, which is a very valid point as well because they should have been there a couple of weeks ago. No, over the last couple of weeks, right? Maybe X, he's been in touch. Um, belter for him, Christian McCaffrey joined the one thousand one thousand club. Only the third player ever to do so. Incredible achievement. But to be fair, he is the only player that gets given the ball in Carolina. To be fair, um, yeah. although let's not take it away from him, he really is an incredible player. Just utterly wasted on that team. Bowfin, the Patriots, he's a Patriots fan. It hurts to say, but geez, we were awful. That uh, interception pick six by Brady was just, <laughs> it was hilarious. Oh, that, that was funny. I mean, if you're a non-Patriots fan, that was funny. Can I just share a Patriots story? I was on duty at, at my church in watch night, and these two girls came in, probably early 20s, and one of them had a Patriots hat on, you know, the old-style Minuteman yeah. hat. And I just looked and I went, Patriots hat. Now, you do know some people wear, wear the gear without knowing the team. Yeah. Uh, and she went, is that going to be a problem? Which I thought was just the best answer ever. <laughs> uh, so she obviously knew who the Patriots were. She did like them. And I just thought, tell you what, that was brilliant. Great I just went, yeah. I thought it was a brilliant. I said, no problem at all. I said, we're Saints fans here, uh, but we allow... You know, everybody is welcome. You know, so it's just a lovely little interchange, I thought. But I, I, I don't like people wearing stuff if they don't know the team or support the team. Yeah. Uh, you know, and yeah, all credit to it. it was a brilliant comeback line. I've been caught at that before, shouting "Go Niners" and stuff like that to people who just look back at you vacantly, not realizing what they've got in their hand. <laughs> um, Bob Ag for Mabenex, uh, NFL scheduler. Uh, I've just picked up on this now that he's mentioned it. Actually, both AFC wildcard games are on the Saturday. And both NFC are on the Sunday. Normally they split it. I'm pretty sure. I think it's because of te television commitments. So uh, if you look at it, NBC, I think, have got the right this year to show Sunday, as do Fox. Now, Fox will always do 
the NFC. CBS will take their main game because that's New England and the Titans. And I think it's just the split. I think NBC then get the choice between the Bills, Texans and the Hawks, Eagles. Yeah. And let's be honest, you take the Hawks, Eagles, because I think it's the more intriguing game. Although, I mean, I think Bills, Texans, I tell you, it's a crapshoot as well. We'll get onto that in a moment. But yes. I think that would be my, my only uh, explanation on that. Couple, just a couple more then before we wrap up. Uh, we've got a couple of our usual guys who get in touch every week. And listen, as we're going through these, thank you again to everybody that gets involved in this. We love reading this. Uh, so, Polly, he gets in touch to say, Happy New Year when it comes, guys. So, Happy New Year to you and everyone else, of course, when it comes. Uh, commentary belter for Paul. Kevin Harlan doing play-by-play of the Chiefs game and the Patriots game at the same time was pretty impressive. Don't know if you've heard that one, Paul, but it is very, very good. The man's a genius. I'd love to get him on this podcast. Right. I okay. really would. Challenge received. I'll see what I can do. Uh, main belter for him, though, is Derek Henry. 211 yards and three touchdowns in a must-win game. Can't argue with that. Bowfin for but, him. But, 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 but. What about the dead squirrel that hangs from the back of his helmet? Yeah, well, that's it's just I something mean, that, to hold on to. Well, the thing is, that I, I was watching the games yesterday with a friend of mine who doesn't really follow the NFL, and he was saying, what happens if somebody pulls that? I said, well, if it's actually part of a legal motion, it's allowed. Yes, it is totally and allowed. he's like, what? Yeah. I'm going, yeah, because in rugby union, you're not allowed to pull the hair. No. Um, but in, in, in the NFL, you can't. And it just, it's short putting a bow on it saying, please pull. <laughs> it just, it just, yeah, there's something. I mean, not that I want to talk about, you know, men's style or anything like that. I did that. wonder, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've not gone with a sort of long rat's tail type thing. I've never been tempted to, but he just looks a wee bitty daft. Not that I'd tell him that to his face. No, indeed. Um, you'd have to tell him that as he bouldered you over and ran through you. Um, I'd just throw a flag on him, to be honest. <laughs> so, Polly, his bowfin is Mr. 30 for 30, and as a Bucks fan, he's allowed to say, to quote Bruce Arians in his post-game presser, so much good and so much outright terrible, which I think is a very good quote to pull. <laughs> that needs to go on a T-shirt. Uh, well, I was just thinking that, that that's the T-shirt worn as a Saints fan. That in black and gold and underneath Bruce Arians. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. And then Bob Ag for him is also Baker Mayfield. He'd like to see how his reaction to the fans would have played out if it was a Scottish crowd that he was playing to. <laughs> I do wonder, it may have been slightly different. Right, last one then is Lauren Callahan. His belter, Derek Henry as well. Awesome performance to capture the rushing title. Fitting that he did it with a 50-plus scoring run. Uh, Bowfin is the Cowboys for playing the sort of game that they should have played a week earlier. And Bobag for him. And this brings us nicely onto the next point. Antonio Brown performed well in tryout but was reportedly F-bombing all the time, suggesting no attitude adjustment of late whatsoever. Uh, now, we're going to come on to th- that talking point that we've also been putting out on social media. But before that, I'm going to give mine. So my belter is the Miami Dolphins. I am giving it to all of them. Uh, if I have to give it to one of them, it's going to Fitz Magic. I think that to do it again, to do it again and to do it in Foxborough, at a point where they've got nothing to play for and the Patriots are playing for home field advantage, at least, you know, the second seed, um, and to, to get a bye, uh, 
just brilliant performance. I thought that every single one of them, they showed grit and determination. And I tell you what, Flores has got them playing really well. And I think he's had an excellent first season. Consider everything he's given away. All the talent that's gone out the way and the lack of it that's come in. Absolutely brilliant. Do you know what? They've got a foundation. I think that they've got a good setup there. They can go into that draft with a bit of confidence. And find they might have lost themselves some places. I mean, who would have thought at the start of the season that that's where we would have seen them? Um, ultimately, they go now with the fifth pick rather than the first, which we all thought. And they ended the season with five wins, which is the same as the Panthers, the Cardinals, and the LA Chargers. Um, and they've they've got a bucket full of picks as well, yeah, Cam. It's Lots to be positive about. And that's just a nice little positive wink at the end of the season to say, good on you, good on you. Uh, Bowfin for me has to be Jameis Winston. Brilliant, but just to lose the game in overtime, first play on a pick six is just so sums them up. It just sums the whole thing up absolutely perfectly. Um, Can I ask you, did you notice what else was significant about that pick six? No. So, so my answer would be, did you see any of his teammates going over to console him? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not one. Yeah. Not one went over and went near him. And I think that, to me, hints a lot. Either they know to stay out his way because he doesn't like that kind of thing, or it tells you more about him as a person that they don't care for him. Now, I'm reading into that, but I just thought that was noticeable. You know, last game of the season, you know, nobody went up, we'd tap on the back, unlucky mate, or or anything like that. So, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that's fair. And then my ball bag, I'm not sure on this one, but I'm going to give it to Baker, just because, you know, he got all riled up before, and then he went out and did absolutely nothing. Uh, well, he threw a couple of touchdowns, but the Browns in, in general limped to another defeat um, and ultimately Freddie Kitchens is no longer there um, he only gets it though because and I'm bringing us on to our next talking point um, because we've given it to Antonio Brown every single week it is the Antonio Brown Bobag award so he doesn't get it but would have got it for apparently being told not to bring an entourage to training with the Saints and what did he do? He brought the whole entourage um, he wasn't the only wide receiver that went in there but he's the only one that posted it all over Twitter He's the only one that was posting pictures of his contract and things like that. Absolute ball bag behaviour. So Baker gets it because it is Antonio's ongoing award anyway. And that brings us on nicely, Paul, to the next talking point. Well, just before we do, I want to do two little things. Okay. Just a, a couple of wee, wee bits. Can we give some credit and some love to Terrell Suggs? 139th sack in his career. Now up to, I think, 8th on the list. Yeah. Interesting to note that since 2005, there's not been a repeat winner in the NFC East, which I thought was quite fascinating. It's the 30th straight year, at least four teams who didn't make the playoffs the previous season make the playoffs the following one, which I think is fabulous. And I want to test your cognitive load before we move on, yeah. because I, I think that's the, the theme of the podcast. <laughs> I'm going to give you going to give you five names. What, what do they have in common? Prescott, Winston, Rivers, Ryan, and golf. They have all thrown over a certain number of interceptions. No, although that's possibly true as well. They are, <laughs> in, ter- in terms of yardage this year, the five highest quarterbacks, Prescott, Winston, Rivers, Ryan, and Goff, how many of them are in the playoffs? Oh, none of them. None. What does that tell us about the game? Yeah. It's just, it's not all necessarily about, you know, 
flinging yards. Now, you, you mentioned it earlier about the Cowboys wide receivers yeah. just happening to turn up late. It's that kind of thing. So I just thought that was quite an interesting little one. It was actually one that I, uh, I'll touch on that as well, because I thought watching that Niners game against the Seahawks, there wasn't a huge amount of massive plays from San Francisco. There was the odd one here and there. But actually, it was it was game managed down the field. It felt a little bit like watching San Francisco under Alex Smith again. Because there was like run, run, short, dump over the top, a few yards. Uh, San Francisco have focused more on players that can do damage after the catch rather than players that can go up and make a great big huge catch. Someone like DK Metcalf, for example, who's actually turned out to be quite the wide receiver. Um, the little spin thorn, we're going to touch on this, that Debo Samuel did on his way to scoring the touchdown. Oh, oh. that was that was just... Per- oh, it was glorious. Absolutely glorious. But yeah, you're, you're right. It's not just about slinging the ball. It's about game management. It's about making sure that you can... Uh, you can throw the ball when the time comes. And you're right, interesting to see. I mean, the fall from grace for the Rams is quite something. It really Uh is. And uh, under Sean McVay, it'll be interesting to see next season what they can do. They'll be in their new home. They need to focus in. They need to have a good first season there to make sure that the fans keep coming along. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So the talking point, though, that we're going to come on to next is we asked on social media and we entitled it, Nope, as the, new break, as the news breaks of Antonio Brown training with the Saints, we're going to be chatting about players that you don't want to see your team. So we've asked people that. There's a couple of people got in touch, but it's one we're going to leave open. Paul, Antonio Brown, when you found out he was getting an opportunity to train with the Saints, what were your thoughts? If I take you back 12 months when they brought him into the building initially, I thought, yeah, great player, bit of an arse, but I think Sean Payton can handle that. And I think, you know, Drew Brees is strong enough to handle him, etc., etc. Come to today, or, you know, a few days ago, it's like, no thanks. I just, it's the whole, he was a complete ass, leaving where he left and moving on, etc., etc. I don't want to see him anywhere near the Saints, personally. He would be a great if if you got Antonio Brown, the wide receiver, yeah, and not the entourage, the stupid social media stuff, uh, the sexual harassment issues, etc., etc., etc. Now, got to be remembered, he's not been convicted of anything, so we've got to be very careful in what what we say. But for all of that, no, I, I don't want to see, I don't want all of that. The way he conducted himself this year with the Raiders who handed him a chance to come back, then you're going to the Patriots and doing what he did there. No, I just, I, I would not like to see him there. Interesting that the Saints have done it, perhaps just to annoy the league because, <laughs> you know, this, the Saints suspect that the league annoy them all the time. So it might just be a little bit of a, a nasty from that, that point of view. But no, to, to be honest, I'd rather, I'd rather not. So some of the comments that we've had on this uh, so far, and we want to leave this as an open question because I think it's a really interesting context to what you, people like and don't like in a player. Um, because exactly for your reason, now clearly Antonio Brown has the talent, but it's the baggage that goes with it that's a problem. Um, for me, the player that I, and, and I'll be honest, I was disappointed when we signed Richard Sherman. Uh, he was a player that I loved to hate. Um, when he was in Seattle, he was mouthy, he was in your face. I, I didn't like how aggressive he was. I, I didn't like that about Seattle. I felt like I felt like you can play hard-hitting football, but they then took it up a few notches and were unnecessarily 
nasty hits rather than just hard hits. I didn't like all that mantra. So I yep. was a little bit reluctant. Now, I've come round to Richard Sherman. I'm not going to be buying a jersey with his name on the back. But, you know, he's, he's playing really well. I think he's just posted saying that he's had his best career to date. You know, he's allowed the least amount of yards over a season of all these seasons, which is quite something. But I wasn't comfortable. Michael Bennett is a player that I would not like to see anywhere near San Francisco. And Michael Bennett, for me, is a player with the baggage, with the nasty streak and all that kind of stuff that I'm just like, absolutely no, do not want it. But people have different reasons. So Stuart Taylor got in touch. His is controversial by his own. But he says, Patrick Mahomes. He says he often has irrational dislikes for certain players. And Mahomes is one of them. He gets the impression that he'd just be unlikable in a locker room which I think is really fascinating. Now, I don't know, and it's one, you know, I would love to sit down with Stuart, and I met up with Stuart in Aberdeen a couple of weeks ago. I'd love to sit down with him and say to him, exactly what it is, what is it about Mahomes? Um, you know, I've got these these ones that I rationally dislike as well. Adam Mitchell got in touch, no relation to you, I believe, but Kiko Alonso at the Bills would kill me. Um, dirtiest player around. Now, obviously, Kiko Alonso started off at the Bills, um, so he wouldn't have him there, to which Chaz uh, replies to him and say, uh, you never seen perfect play. Um, but he says he would never forgive Alonso uh, for his hit on Flacco. Um, oh, yeah. Kiko Alonso at the Bills. Yeah. He is at the Bills, isn't he? He was yeah, at the I Bills and so. he went back yeah, yeah. to the Bills. Um, so, yeah. So, Adam, obviously a, a Ravens fan. Um, but, you know, saying that, you know, the hit on Flacco, you can never forgive. And it's funny how a single play like that can have a massive, massive impact on what people think. There's a couple of people got in touch on Twitter as well. Callum Ingo says, Nick Foles, he's clearly an average okay quarterback, but like so many other others, activated God mode when p- playing for the Patriots. So that's obviously more based on the fact that it's not necessarily a character thing, um, but it's more that he just doesn't trust him as a player. Uh, Joe Hunter, he says, Richie Incognito seems like a real scumbag. He's done some really crazy stuff in the past. And that's one that, you know, you keep getting told that Richie Incognito sorted himself out. Um, And he seems to have had a semi-decent season. But actually, it's another name that I would be exactly the same. I'm not sure I'd ever be delighted or happy in any way that Richie Incognito signed for my team. Uh, And then lastly, finally, a relation of yours, your good lady, Francis got in touch to say, to think of all the grief as a Steelers fan that she took from you and your son. <laughs> to quote her word for word. It's uh, your problem now, although it's it, not yet. <laughs> it, not yet. Uh, no, thankfully, not yet. I mean, it's interesting. Some of the names there. I mean, let, let's touch on, you know, so when the, you know, the first rumour that the Saints might have been interested in, in Antonio Brown a year ago. As I mentioned, I would have taken that. The other guy that they were connected with a year ago and actually came into the bill, you know, Des Bryant. Yeah. Um, was was another one. Now, I wasn't a massive fan of Des Bryant because of his ability to upset a locker room, a little bit like Antonio Brown. But to me, Des Bryant isn't a ball bag. He's just a diva wide receiver. Yes, yes. And I think that's the difference between him and somebody like Antonio Brown, who is beyond divaship. Um, and just everything that comes with that. I would have taken Des Bryant happily because, again, I think, you know, the coaching staff could have held on to him and, you know, made sure he was okay. But, yeah, it's just, no, there's there's certain players you don't like. I mean, interesting, you know, I, I, I made my own list. Vont is perfect. I wouldn't want anywhere near my team because he's just dirty. Yeah. Chad Johnson as a wide receiver, you know, it's like, Absolutely no thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wouldn't want Cam Newton. 
anywhere near my team. So if you go, if you take it back to the next sort of little lot, you know, would you want Randy Moss given all the problems that he caused? Dion Sanders wasn't the best liked player yeah. in the world for a while. You know, James Harrison wasn't a very well liked player. Then you've got other players that you wouldn't want near you because they're not very good. You know, somebody, <laughs> yeah. somebody like Jay Cutler, you wouldn't want anywhere yeah. near you. Um, Michael Irvin wasn't a very popular player. No. Um, you know, I, I mean, I loved watching Adrian Peterson, but after the incident with his kid, it was very difficult to then welcome in New Orleans. Now, do you believe in, you know, everybody's worth a second chance? Now, I think that's true to, up to a point. I think there's a point where you do something that there is almost no coming back in professional sport, yeah. sporting terms. I mean, in life, it's different. You you play it. Now, I mean, I've said this to you before. I wouldn't want Colin Kaepernick anywhere near the New Orleans Saints because to me, it's about Colin Kaepernick and not about playing the game. Yeah. So I wouldn't want him anywhere near the Saints for that reason. Now, this is where it gets complicated because we've, then always got to put the rider on. If he wants to go out and use his position as an NFL player to make social change, to talk about issues of social justice, etc., etc., that's entirely up to him. And I salute him for doing so. I don't think he's a good enough player to come and play for the team that I support. That's why I wouldn't like that. Uh, there was the talk while the Saints getting an Indomic and Sue. But really? Yeah. You know, it's just against somebody I wouldn't wouldn't have wanted, and yeah, there's, there's just players like that, and there have been. I mean, we can only go back sort of 10, 15, 20 years of of players that we've watched, and you think, no, I wouldn't want them anywhere near my team. Thank you very much. I just don't like them, and some of that can be that irrationality about it. I mean, you could probably go back to the Raiders teams of the late seventies and eighties, and you wouldn't have wanted them in your team for the fact, you know, they brawled, they fought, they did everything, you know. I mean, Bill Romanowski, uh, I mean, he won four Super Bowls, but, I mean, did he not break... Oh, whose jaw did he break? Was it Kenny Collins' jaw? Um, at some point, he punched his own teammate. Was it not Geno Smith as well that punched his own teammate in a locker room? Yeah, there was you know, something about and, and broke his hand, <laughs> took himself out. So, that, you know, there's various players you certainly just wouldn't want for a variety of... Of reasons, as I say, some you view as incompetent, some you view as a distraction, some you think are just historically dirty. Uh, I, I was at football match this week. I covered uh, Hearts Aberdeen. I was discussing an Aberdeen player afterwards with with one of the guys, not in a Hearts official, just somebody who supports Hearts, and they were going on about this particular player for Aberdeen, and I went, I'd take him in a heartbeat. And it's like, how would you take him? He, he's dirty, he tackles, he does it. So, yeah, he's the kind of player you love to have in your team. Yes, you hate to have in the other one. You know, Neil Lennon was a brilliant example as a player. You well, know, Scott no, Brown. How, Scott how many Brown. people hate Scott Brown? <laughs> yeah, totally. But you, take, you take him in your team. Yeah. You know, there, there are players like that. But there's also, and I think what we wanted to talk about was players that you wouldn't, you actually just wouldn't feel comfortable. You know, Marshawn Lynch, Rob Gronkowski. I've mentioned Chad Johnson. These are the players. So my weird They're... one is Philip Rivers, right? So this is, and this is the context of this. Philip Rivers is a brilliant quarterback. But I wouldn't want him anywhere near the San Francisco 49ers. I think that he is too much about Philip Rivers. I think that he's too mouthy and he's the sort of, he's the sort of, 
if this was in a working environment, he's the manager that's on your back the whole time. And you know he's good at his job, but that doesn't mean he gets to be a dick about it. <laughs> and that's for me, is exactly what Philip Rivers is. I don't like that style of management. I don't like that at all. I don't think it's necessary. It doesn't work for me at all. Um, and therefore, I just immediately like, I wouldn't want him anywhere near. He's clearly capable, but I think he probably, the heads of his teammates will go down more than they'll go up through the way that he manages the game. Or you need a particular type of player that can respond well to that. Uh, but, and I just think that's the type of thing I wouldn't want anywhere near uh, my team for that very reason. So, but, yeah. But would, would Aaron Rodgers fall into that category? You know, <laughs> me- remember famously he got onto all these rookie wide receivers and basically told them that they were, well, poo poo. So I've, want of a better word, I've seen less of that with my own eyes to be able to make a judgment on it. Um, if I'd been making a judgment on it, I'd be making it on the on the stories in the paper and things like that. So I, I've not seen the context of the conversations. I've not seen the context of the conversations with Philip Rivers. I've seen how angry he looks and I've seen his body language when he reacts to one of his players doing something wrong. But he doesn't ever seem to beat himself up when he does something wrong. He, wrong. he tends to yeah. laugh. Or chuckle, or you know, every now and then he'll look frustrated. But you know, it, it's one of those things where the finger of blame goes to somebody else. He's one of those quarterbacks. You weren't on the right route. I imagine he probably never takes much blame. Could be totally wrong, but it's based on reading uh, body language. That's what I have an assumption of him. And for that, he's a player I wouldn't want anywhere near my team. But we've actually not mentioned the one that would probably get the most votes you know six-time champions four-time super bowl mvp supermodel for a wife a fortune all the ice cream you could want all the products named after him all before he was 42 um yeah tom brady yeah. i'd take him on my team if it wasn't for the fact we drew Brees. i think that that kind of thing and again it, it goes into the different categories and perhaps it's something we can look at why wouldn't you want a player because they're dirty because they're incompetent or because they're just too damn good. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine not wanting a player because they're too good, eh? That's yeah, a, a position of power to be in that. And actually, to sum it all up, I think this says it all. Because the last comment that we had when we put it out on Twitter was from Brian Pickering, who said, I'm a Cardinals fan. We'll take anyone. <laughs> so right on that then um and we've been going for almost an hour here so this is a bumper edition here but before we we move on to the news let's have a quick look then at the wild card weekend games coming up so first up texans bills um yeah i think th- th- these are four games that if if we'd been doing a podcast only about those games and i'd said look you take the bills and the vikings and if you take New England and the Eagles and you argue for them and I'll argue for the other four, I think there's cases to be made everywhere. Yeah. Now, I think the weakest on paper is Vikings at the Saints simply because it's the Superdome and the way the Saints have played in the last few weeks. That, to me, looks the easiest of the games. Now, that might come back to bite me. It doesn't mean to say I don't think Minnesota have got a chance. I actually do think they've got a chance uh, because they've got a very good team if they can get healthy. So I'm not being disrespectful. But from the point of view that I think that's the one that would be potentially the most one-sided. Bills, Texans, which Bills are going to turn up? You know, if they, if they can turn up with any form of an offence... It's two ten and six teams. The Titans, Patriots. You would just presume the Patriots would wipe the Titans, but the Patriots are falling as the Titans are rising, and that is cause for concern for me. So I think we've got two very, very good games on the Saturday. 
Uh, and the one thing you can say of Ryan Tannehill is his experience in Miami means he knows how to beat the Patriots. I'm not saying he knows yeah. how to do it in Foxborough, but he knows how to do it. Um, Derek Henry and a couple of teams now have shown the way for others to come in and beat New England. So there is a game plan there. It's whether or not uh, Mike Vrabel picks up on that or whether he tries to do it his way. But I think you saw it last night as well. Derek Henry, just keep running Derek Henry. Early in the game, he's going to get maybe one or two yards at most. But see, come the end of the game, when those cornerbacks and those linebackers are starting to get tired, that's when he's going to find gaps and that's when he's going to punish someone. So they need to keep themselves in it and then push towards the end of the game. For me, the the bit, the, the upset that's uh, an absolute cert for me is I think the Seahawks will ease past the Eagles. I think that Russell Wilson's and the sum of the parts is better than the Eagles' front seven um, because I think the secondary is so poor. And I think that Carson Wentz is struggling. Uh, yes, he's thrown yards, but he's got <laughs> he's got such a, a sort of rack of bums. And that seems harsh because they're quality football players. But uh, compared to the wide receivers he should be throwing to, um, obviously, Zach Ertz, it depends if he comes back. Um, Alshon Jeffrey's missing. You look at the running backs that are missing. Sanders as well. What, is he going to be injured? Um, if they're going in with Boston Scott, uh, and he's the sort of only back, and then there's that collection of wide receivers, I think they'll struggle. I think they'll really struggle. So I think the Seahawks can cruise that one. Um, I agree with you on the Saints-Vikings. I think because it's at the Superdome, the noise there can be enough for the Saints to do what they need to do. I think that the Texans at home, if Deshaun Watson's in, in fit form, then I think that they can they can damage the Bills. Um, I do think the Patriots will win. I do think they will, and I just hope the Titans give them a game. I th- we had expectations last year with the playoffs and it just didn't come. Nobody really threatened the, the Patriots. I remember thinking that the Chargers might go in there and do something and they absolutely didn't. So let's just hope that the Titans did everything they needed to do to get into the playoffs. Let's hope they do enough to show that they deserve to be there when they're actually in the wild card round. So if, if I was to push you, uh, you know, and it's purely a neutral and you could go to one of these four games, which one would you go to? Ooh, I, do you know what? See, for atmosphere, I'd go to Eagles Seahawks. I actually think that would be the one to actually be at. I think it would be most entertaining. The game, yeah, probably Texans Bills. Actually, I think Texans Bills has potential to be good on both sides of the ball. Uh, both teams are very capable of playing good defense. Both can play good offense. Two exciting quarterbacks. Two, you know sort of committee running backs, uh, wide receivers. That, okay, the Bills don't have a huge amount of guys, but they're, he's, they're managing to get them to turn up. I think that's got a lot of potential to be a really interesting one. Yeah, I think that's where I'd go, actually, because I don't mind the Bills in Texas. I'm not, you know, I don't mind the Seahawks and Eagles. I'm not a huge fan of them. And I like I do like Pete Carroll. Uh, I, you know, taking away the fact that I'm a Saints fan, but out of the four games, yeah, I think the Bills-Texans has got a nice, there's a nice balance about it. Uh, that said, it could be a blowout, but you know that, that's certainly the one I would look at. Now, let's move on to the news then before we, we wrap up, and there's a couple of things that we need to do here. First of all, uh, we're on to Black Monday. Uh, head coaches are getting sacked. There's already a couple of open positions anyway with the Panthers and the Redskins looking for someone, but the Redskins have now moved on from their um, man at the very top, yeah, Bruce um, Allen's out, isn't he? Yeah, Bruce. And that, I don't, 10 years involved, I don't think that's any major surprise. Um, he's obviously been president there for a while. It's not been, it's just never happened. Uh, so therefore, he's out there looking for a whole new uh, office of people there. Uh, the other one is Freddie Kitchens. 
has been fired. I don't think it's any huge surprise on that one because the Browns managed to regress uh, when they brought in players like Odell Beckham, when they got Kareem Hunt back for the the, the, the sort of second part of the season. That team should have been way performing better than it was. And I think that that's the right decision. Greg Williams should have been in charge of that team and it would have been different. I've said it on a couple of podcasts. I still believe it. He should have been in charge of that team. Now, you talk about Black Monday. When we thought it would have been a Black Monday about eight, eight nine weeks ago for the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah. But somehow, and you've got to give credit to Dan Quinn. They won six of the last eight. They beat the Saints. They beat the 49ers. So sometimes when you are down and out and in a crisis, and it was, and it, and it would have surprised nobody if the Falcons had binned them. And... You've got to give credit to the Falcons organizations. They've seen something. They've decided not to react early because the season was going to be lost either way. They obviously saw enough in Dan Quinn to think that they could turn it around. They have turned it around. So sometimes, you know, he he could have been looking at his papers and his jotters, but he's managed to hold on. I still think there'll be a couple of changes. I'm not convinced uh, that Cincinnati are going to entrust the first pick in the draft, which should be an obvious one, uh, of Jack Burroughs, who was brilliant for LSU against Oklahoma. I'm not sure going to trust him to Zach Taylor. I'm not convinced there's not going to be another change in Arizona. Yeah. Although I think there was enough to say that there was decent things there. And I don't like one and dones. I, as you know, I'm not a fan of somebody coming in unless there's a real issue. And I think, you know, kitchens being cooked in Cleveland wasn't exactly a difficult one for them. So I still think there's one or two tough decisions to come down the road. It'll be interesting to see if there's not another couple of coaches getting the hook. Well, there's one has gone since we've come on air, so I'll come to that in a minute. Question mark still over Dallas. Question mark still over Jacksonville. Could be movements there. There certainly seems to be a lot of talk. But one person who has been fired, Pat Shermer of the New York Giants. Yeah, which is probably not a, a great surprise. But did you see the way that uh, Barkley celebrated with him? Yeah, I, you know, uh, perhaps he just knew the coach was gone and he liked them. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, but that that that's no great surprise. Moving fast, though, I wonder whether uh, Ron Riviera has been in uh, the Redskins. Seems to be hotly tipped. I wonder whether the Giants have gone. Oh, hang on a minute, he could be the man for us. I think that Ron is going to be the the number one person that everyone's going to be trying to get. Apparently, as well, rumours circulating that the Browns have reached out to the Patriots. They've asked to speak to Josh McDaniels. Um, that's that rumour coming round again. Um, Josh McDaniels is linked with jobs every single year. He chooses to stay in uh, Patriots every year. I think that um, Bill Belichick still has at least three years in that contract that he's got on his soul. So if he wants to leave with his soul, he has to stay in New England for now. I don't think Josh McDaniels is going anywhere. No, but I think you then look to see who might come in. So you do have, you know, Ron Rivera, Mike McCarthy are the two that are probably available. Urban Meyer and Lincoln Riley are being linked to certainly the Browns as well. Now, you've got to wait till teams are out of the playoffs, uh, but you've got to think that, you know, the offensive coordinator in San Francisco is going to take a little bit of a look. Um, you've also got to think that, uh, or Andy Reid's offensive coordinator, uh, is it Benemi? I think could be one, I'm trying to remember his name. So that there's a certain, there's a certain number of 
people that are available, but you can't. It's Eric Biemi, that's the name that yep. I was looking for. Uh, there's a certain number of people that will make themselves uh, technically available. The one surprise that might come is Byron Leftwich, the Tampa Bay Bucks. Um, you know, he is African-American. He may get the chance to interview under the Rooney rule. And if he does, I, you know, everything I've heard about him says he's really, really good. So that could be a possibility for him. So, yeah, I think I think there's a few interesting uh, people around. Uh, and it's whether you've got somebody in your own organization. If I remember Chris Richard of the Dallas Cowboys, defensive backs coach, passing game coordinator. Uh, people rate him really highly, but I couldn't see him leaping to take Jason Garrett's place. He might have to go somewhere else first. Yes, indeed, indeed. Um, right, so, I mean, this is a developing story as well, so we'll cover this in the coming weeks. Um, so let's let's park that one for now. Any other news items that you want to cover before we wrap up for this one, Paul? Yeah, just I have to point out the sad news that the Bills and Texans will be on ESPN ABC. Oh. Uh, and it's, it's the first playoff game up. Um, there's, there's some bad news about Booger McFarland. He is fit and well and able to go. Oh, dear. So, but sorry I, to end on a low note there. It's actually another reason to want to go to that game of all the <laughs> other ones because then I don't have to listen to the commentary. So, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> Double whammy. <laughs> right. Um, so, before we go, a couple of things to do. Let's give a quick update on our Pick'em competition, um, which is between us. Sorry, our Pick 6 competition. I'm coming to the Pick'em one in a minute to announce who's won it because that's done and dusted for the season. We're still on, though. I forgot, though, um, to do the graphic and get the picks out early enough. So, it was done behind the scenes. However, I can tell you that the scores combined of this week and last week leaves us in the current position. In last place with 50 points is me. In second last place with 51 is Charles Patterson. Then Ian Stephen has 52. It's tied in second place between Paul and Gordon McGuinness. Jamie Borthwick has a six-point lead with 61 at the moment. Paul, there are four wild card games. There are four divisional games, two championship games and a Super Bowl. There are 11 points to play for before the end of the season. That means mathematically, I'm still not out. I need Jamie to get all 11 wrong and me to get all 11 right, but I'm still not out. Um, you don't you don't work for the Dallas Cowboys, do you? <laughs> um, I'm clinging on to it. I am clinging on to it, <laughs> let me tell you. Uh, so we'll, we'll give people an update on that one. But let's turn to our McBookie um, Pick'em competition. As we are in the position now where we can formally announce the pick king of Scotland for 2019. We've been running this all season long with McBookies. Uh, and do you know what? It went down to the absolute wire. The person who won got in touch to say that he had done so um, because he changed his mind last minute on the Seahawks 49ers game and changed from a Seahawks win to a 49ers win. He is... Oh. A 49er fan as well. So that's a double whammy for him. So congratulations to Jerry Bowlers, who finished the season with 171 points. One point ahead of Spain, who finished on 170. I don't think that's the whole country. Uh, I think that's just the username, uh, Spain. I think that the, the whole country of Spain didn't get together and do a pick here. So uh, Drew Brees, bowling goalie, Max Reed, 1999, equal third. Congratulations to all of them. Jambo Jap, last season's king, 
of Scotland. He needed to have one heck of a comeback. He had a blistering week 17 with 12 right. Um, he finishes in fifth. Not enough, though. Uh, finished four points behind the leader, Jerry Bowlers. 171 points. Absolute congratulations. Brian Dando is the pick king of Scotland. It means that Brian Dando wins himself a signed Odell Beckham jersey, a £100 free bet from the great people at McBookies, and an NFL Scotland hoodie. Congratulations, Brian. Well done. That is tremendous stuff. How, how did you finish yourself? Uh, I finished 76th overall out of over 150. Middle of what the pack. What was your points total? 145. You son of a... Uh, <laughs> so, I, I am, I'm going to come back to this because I've been banging right. on about it all bloody year. Yep, yep. Um, you, will, the, you dropped a week. I, I missed week three because it recorded it in a different entry. Yep. Now, I won 144 points <gasps> and I would have got at least six or seven that week, so I'd beat you. So if, it, if it makes you feel any better, this week I completely forgot about it uh, and missed all the six o'clock kickoffs. So it would have been further ahead, um, but I missed six of the games. Um, in fact, I think it was more <laughs> than six, but I missed a whole bunch of games at the six o'clock kickoffs. Actually, that's eight games. So, uh, yeah, I missed all that as well. So, do you know what? Um, we've both missed out on that one. There is going to be another prize for this one as well because we did say that everybody who took part in every single week to encourage people to keep taking part because I know it's so easy to fall off with these things you know by week 12 and you're way out of it we're going to put everybody that submitted an entry every single week so Paul you're not included in that because you forgot um, I submitted an entry yeah, I just went yeah. to I've got Paul Mitchell <laughs> NFL 1 and I've got Paul Mitchell NFL 2 well when I'm I scanning through it. checking this I'll be able to see but everybody that entered will go into the hat we will draw out one winner who will also get an NFL Scotland hoodie. But let's take this opportunity to thank everyone that took part. It's been brilliant competition. We'll definitely be doing it again next year. Congratulations to Brian Dando. Thank you so much to McBookie, who've put up that prize. They've managed to source the Odell Beckham Jr. jersey. They've managed to source, and, and obviously they've managed to source, they're, they're providing the £100 free bet as well. So many thanks to McBookie. It's been a lot of fun, and we really hope you guys have enjoyed it. The second King of Scotland will be crowned at some point in the future. Uh, I've already reached out. Unfortunately, Brian can't make it to our championship game, uh, our, our, our championship event on the 19th of January, but I believe he's in Edinburgh for the Super Bowl. We might need to try and get something sorted out from while he's up. Sounds good to me. Sounds good. Well done. Well yes, done. Indeed. So, right. I think that just about concludes everything then for episode 81. Just a reminder that we do have that live event coming up in the Golf Tavern on the 19th of January. Make sure that you put that one into your diary. So, I think that just leaves me to say that and concludes everything then for episode 81. Keep your feedback coming for us as well. Make sure that you keep following us on Twitter at ScotlandNFL and on Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash ScotlandNFL. One of these weeks, we'll keep the podcast a shorter time than we actually meant to do, but it didn't happen this week. Please keep sharing the podcast. Give us a review on iTunes. Get in touch with any thoughts, comments, or subjects you'd like to see us cover. Get yourself along to the Golf Tavern in Edinburgh or Committee Room 9 in Glasgow this weekend to make the most of the wild card action. It's going to be good. Remember, we're back at the Golf Tavern for Championship Sunday on the 19th of January. Ticket news coming soon. Keep the date free in your diary. Have a great New Year celebration when it comes. We'll be back later in the week as we have an extra special episode to kick off 2020. But until then, bye for now. <laughs> <laughs>